This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It is Thursday, October 21st, and this is the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I am your host, Blair Angulo. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope everyone's having a great week. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been offering midseason progress reports for different Power Five conferences. You can go back into this feed to hear our breakdowns of the Big Ten, the ACC, and the SEC as we make a charge towards that early signing period in mid-December. And now it's that time once again to call what what maybe we can say is, is a parent-teacher conference as we make that charge towards early signing period and break down the Pac-12 conference. And to do so, we are summoning the beautiful voice of Brandon Huffman, national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. Mr. Brandon, let us hear that voice. I am worried when you said parent-teacher conferences. As a parent who has to go to those conferences, you always worry what you're going to hear. But since people are tuning in to hear me, maybe now I'm a teacher all you fans out there are the parents and you got to listen to what I'm saying about your child. Yeah. You're breaking out the red marker, as I said a couple of weeks ago. And those were always interesting because it was a midterm conference, right? Where you're getting a feel for how your kid is doing in class, or you try to get maybe a warning from the teacher to the student about what they're not doing or how they're not paying attention or how they talk to little Timmy a little bit too much uh, as you know, you're, 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 you're kind of getting ready to test them. And, and all that. So I, I always kind of had, you know, some nervousness going into those guys. I never really knew how I stood with teachers, but that's what we're doing here on this podcast. We're going to give you a clear understanding of what the PAC 12 looks like right now with about two months to go until the early signing period in terms of recruiting. And let's start with perhaps the biggest red marker that we can find. And, and that would be with the USC Trojans. This is our first topic. The Trojans obviously now dealing with some issues. They're, they've lost some commitments. Most recently, Michael Williams, the five-star defensive lineman who just flipped to Georgia this week. They are still trying to figure out what's going to happen there. Clay Helton is out. There's been some rumors about the hot board and who could be involved and who could be taking over in Los Angeles. But all that just continues to create uncertainty in recruiting. And there's a, what, eight, nine weeks until Penn meets paper for some of these prospects. And if USC doesn't kind of identify who that guy is going to be, we we can't really see USC signing a top-rated class in December. And it might have to go into February. Work with me here, since this is a parent-teacher conference type. USC is the really talented kid in class who just doesn't seem to apply himself at times and makes you wonder what he's doing all day when he's got all the talent, the ability to be an ace plus student, but sometimes he colors outside the lines, throws things at other kids in class and can sometimes be a general distraction. That's what USC is kind of like. The talent is there from a recruiting standpoint. You've got one of the best recruiters in college football in Dante Williams, now as the head coach, the interim head coach, but he's the head coach. So you're seeing an aggressiveness in recruiting 
from USC, but it seems to be towards 24s and 25s. We're not seeing the same kind of aggression towards the 22s, which, you know, I I get it. There's a lot of uncertainty because we're not sure who the head coach is going to be at USC next year. We're not sure if Dante Williams will, will factor in. But why are 24s and 25s committing this early, but 22s are hesitant? You know, that's one of the weird things. Is it Dante's the only one on the staff who's recruiting? Is it that other assistant coaches aren't recruiting as heavily because their feeling is that they're not going to be back? It's just, it's so weird. And I know we referenced this when we did the emergency podcast on the day that Clay Helton was fired. We referenced Ed Orgeron. And and you remember, because I think you were covering USC recruiting specifically at that time. If you remember when he got hired, there was this this, this initial push towards a lot of the 2014 kids in Southern California. And some of them were guys that were high on the board that ended up being, you know, pretty heavily recruited guys. Some were kind of relative unknowns. I mean, Chenna Nuosu, oh goodness, uh, Elijah Juan Tucker, you know, guys that maybe weren't as big of household names at the time. Where were Shafields committed to at the time? Was it, was it Colorado before he committed SC or did he just end up at Colorado after he, he- decommitted? Yeah, he was committed to SC and then had to flip over to Colorado. Okay, so he but, wasn't ever a Colorado commit to begin no, with. No, not, not until later, yes. Okay, so, you know, but he was a name who was playing at, at Bosco when they were they were the number one team in the state that year. And Ordron made this huge push towards that class. Well, Steve Sarkeesian takes over a few weeks after the, or I guess a few days after Ordron coached the last game. They end up signing the best class in the Pac-12, a class that had a Dory Jackson and Juju Smith. And Vianne Talamaval, you know, who was at one point an Alabama commit, Damian Mama. But the focus was clearly with Ordron. I got to get the recruiting class for this year, really then. Now we're seeing SC, it seems like all their focus has been on 24s and 25s. It's like you have a task at hand that you've got to lock up this 22 class. You know, there's been whispers about Michael Williams flipping to Georgia since he committed to USC. There's been other players and in, in a 2022 class that They've been committed that are everybody's still after. Domani Jackson still has schools after him. I, I feel like every day we turn around, Devin Brown's tweeting a new offer. You know, so it's clear that there's current commits that are becoming the focus of other teams. So it's just weird watching USC and and maybe it is the uncertainty. Maybe it's easier to recruit a 24 or 25 that's got some promise and potential. There's going to be some buzz. And that kid's got two or three years to figure out what he's going to do when the new coach is hired. But it just seems like USC's kind of got a, a unique strategy right now with their focus being on later classes, underclassmen, rather than the current class. And this class could, I mean, it dropped to the 41st ranked class nationally. It was number seven when the final polls were released or the final rankings were released in, in, in February. And it's now fourth in the Pac-12. And if they lose a Domani Jackson, if they lose a Devin Brown, that's only going to make that class weaker. Yeah. And here's the thing about USC. They're going to have a short amount of time to make things happen, right? The, their final regular season game is the weekend of Thanksgiving against BYU. They play UCLA the week before that at the Coliseum. I don't think we're expecting USC to make that Pac-12 championship in early December. So that roughly gives that administration about two and a half weeks to settle on something heading into the early signing period to try to maybe get some in-home visits going. Uh, so that's going to be, if you're USC, 
USC fan, that's going to be the time to really look at this and see, all right, what are we aiming for? What's going to be our, our, our approach, our plan of attack? Are we making a charge towards this 22 class? Are we just going to call it and say, we should shift our focus to 23? That, that's going to be the interesting part about USC. And, and, and I would think that they're going to try to make a change right after the regular season, because if that wasn't the case, then why fire Helton midseason the way they did, right? I think right. The, the search would have already given them a few months to come up with some candidates and make that move because they're trying to salvage and get ahead of this thing and, and make a charge toward that 22 class. So that's going to be an interesting aspect to watch. So from one school or program or team that seems to be passing way too many notes around class to, to the school that brings the apple to the teacher every day, you know, they, they, they're the, they're the model student. They're turning in their homework on time. Um, they're acing every test. It seems like they're studying on weekends and that would be the Oregon Ducks. Number one right now in the Pac-12 conference, a top six class nationally. They continue to add four star after four star. They're in it. They're in on it with uh, some, some high caliber targets still remaining on the board. And right now, as things stand, doesn't look like any program is going to be able to catch the Ducks. And they're recruiting just in a different stratosphere as, as any other team in this conference, Huff. They have been on you know kind of a, a mission to, under Mario Cristobal, not just be a top 12 recruiting power, but to be a national recruiting power. And if you look at their class, you, you, know, you see, yes, there's a strong amount of talent from in-state. Uh, obviously, they got two of the top three players in state. They got five guys from California, but then they got five guys from Texas. They got two guys from Alabama. They've gone into the South and gone to Arkansas and Mississippi. They've even gone out to Nebraska and to Oklahoma. So they've done a really good job of spreading the class. Now, you have to when you're Oregon. I would say in the Pac-12 that the state of Oregon produces the least amount of Power 5 players of any state in the Pac-12 footprint, just ever so slightly behind Colorado. But Oregon has made it clear that they want to recruit nationally. And it started out, you know, a long time ago, but it's never been more apparent that they want to continue to recruit nationally. And they aren't afraid to go toe-to-toe with the big boys. And that's how you go and get a guy like Calvin Banks, you know, the number two interior offensive, or I'm sorry, the number two offensive tackle in the country. That's how you go get a guy like Devin Jackson out of Nebraska and Isaiah Satagna out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. I mean, understand that. That's like you literally are going into Arkansas's backyard. Now, when you're an offensive line head coach, you know, it may be, and you want to run the ball like Arkansas does, it may be hard, but he got beat by another offensive line that has a head coach in Mario Cristobal. So I love what Oregon's doing on a national scale in terms of the recruiting outside the Pac-12 footprint because it's working. I've said for years that, you know, West Coast schools can recruit the West Coast and still get 25% of their class or 25 uh, players in their class just from West Coast. So if you're going to recruit nationally, you better be successful. And that's what Oregon has been able to do. They have recruited nationally and they've found success doing so. We are continuing our look at the Pac-12 conference here on this mid-season report of some Power 5 conferences on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. There's a, another school that's been doing significantly well nationally, and that would be Stanford. And this was a, a surprise of sorts because this is a bounce-back class for the Cardinal. Last year in 2021, they signed a class that was outside the top 40 nationally. They were in the bottom half of the Pac-12 conference. But this year, they're a top 15 class nationally. They're number two 
in the conference right behind Oregon. And they're beginning to get back to what Stanford does on the recruiting trail. Uh, I think the pandemic allowed them in a way to reshift their focus and start to integrate the early admission, the early, the the kind of the early evaluation. It leveled the playing field in a way for Stanford to, to, to continue to make some noise here in 2022. And, and I think we really like what they've been doing on the trail this year. What's interesting too about Stanford is you, know, you talked about just kind of being late to the party. They were, I want to say, the last school in the country to allow, or at least the last Power Five program in the country to allow early admission. And ironically, in a year where there was no fall football in their own state, they had, I think, two mid-year admissions, or, I'm sorry, mid-year enrollees, one of those being Ari Patu in the 2021 class who started one game as a high school football player because of a broken leg and then the pandemic and then moving to a school that already had an entrenched starter. So we're seeing Stanford adjusting. We're seeing them kind of, you know, getting with the times. And, and that's, in, if you remember, even in the early years of the early signing period, when guys would sign in December, they still wouldn't do their big visit weekend until that second or third week in January. Remember the the one year we're, we're at registration for the Polynesian Bowl, waiting for those Stanford official visitors to come from their official visit. But a few of them had to go back to their house, then fly from Dallas to Hawaii because of the NCAA rules. And so they've even started to adjust and adapt with their official visits being at different times of the years. And I think that's becoming evident if you look at their recruiting class. We're seeing that there is still value in the Stanford football program. There is still value in the Stanford football degree. They hit a bit of a rough patch, but it seems like this year – they had, you know, they, they came off a, a mediocre season, but it was much better than the year before in the regular season of 2019. Their 2020 season ended well, even though they lost Davis Mills. They've had a couple of pretty marquee wins right now, uh, and then some losses that kind of leave you scratching your head. But Stanford hasn't really gone away. And if you look at the recruiting class, guy, a guy like Kamari Ramsey, you know, top 12 player in, in the state of California able to get his commitment, you know, going down to Tennessee and getting a four-star in Fisher Anderson, uh, Tavara Tafiti. He's been the number one player in Hawaii for what, going on two years now? You know, going out there, Sam Roush, who was originally from San Jose, now he's down in Nashville playing. Ernest Cooper out of Texas. I mean, this is a very strong class with, I think, seven, eight, four-star tied guys and then some other guys that you know, our high three stars. So we're, we're seeing that there's been so much stability. I mean, Stanford has lost some offensive line coaches in the last couple of years. Mike Grimm went on to be the, the head coach at Rice. Uh, the, the previous guy, uh, I think David Carberry is now in the NFL. But they have also had one of the most st- stable assistant coaching staffs in the Pac-12 and really in college football. And I think that stability allows for there to be you know, consistency in the recruiting class. You're seeing it with their 2022 class. Head coach David Shaw, always really insightful at, at Pac-12 Media Day. I always enjoy asking him a recruiting question because he gives you kind of a robust answer that maybe is outside the box or you didn't really think of. And, and one thing I've been wondering about Stanford, especially during these, quote, you know, uncertain times or unquote, and kind of what we keep hearing over the last year and a half is whether or not the 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 academic appeal of Stanford maybe is helping Stanford recruit during these uncertain times, right? Because you're able to sell different things and you're able to say, hey, this is where the stability is if you get this degree. And, and I wonder if that's made an impact for the Cardinal. And obviously they're recruiting right now at a really good rate, number two in the Pac-12. Among those other schools that have been doing significantly better in this cycle than, than in previous classes, 
That would be Arizona and Colorado, as well as UCLA. All three of them uh, are in the top half of the Pac-12 Conference rankings. Arizona, obviously winless still on the field this season, but they've had some significant wins on the trail. Uh, And then you look at Colorado. They were close in that game against Texas A&M early in the season. UCLA had that big win against LSU. They're they're unbeaten on the road. They have a big matchup this week against Oregon. So I think those three schools, from a trajectory standpoint, have to like where they're sitting. I think if you if you look at you know especially at the UCLA where there have been a lot of questions about Chip Kelly's job and the stability there and you know his approach to recruiting has been different. I mean it's remarkable because you mentioned Arizona in the same breath as UCLA and you could not look at two completely contrasting styles of recruiting. And what makes it so fascinating is that Jed Fish was the interim head coach when Jim Moore was fired and Chip Kelly was hired and Jed Fish wanted the UCLA job and you see the approach Chip's taking the recruiting. But then the approach that Jed Fish took to recruiting at Arizona, now Arizona's class has the chance to be really good and one that could really help them would have been a whole lot better had they not, not lost a commitment from Zeke Berry. But that's where the season still becomes a big part of, hey, is this a rebuilding job that's manageable or is this a rebuilding job that's impossible? There are some pieces there at Arizona in this 2022 recruiting class that now may become that much more important. I mean, Zeke Berry would have played the second he stepped foot on campus, but now given their quarterback situation with injuries really kind of messing with the season, I would not be shocked at all if Noah Fafita is taking significant snaps and maybe starting the second he gets to campus next spring and plays in the fall. You got a guy like Keon Burnett, who was just invited to the Polynesian Bowl earlier this week. He's another guy that I anticipate is going to play earlier. But you you look at where this class is compared to a year ago when everybody knew Kevin Summers was on the hot seat. It's jumped up 40 spaces, and they still haven't won a game in, in two years. So that's the kind of encouragement thing you're looking for if you're Arizona because Jed Fish and his staff have made recruiting such a focus. You know, Colorado, you look at their class, and you look at, you know, kind of what – uh, again, going back to guys with kind of unique recruiting styles uh, is what Colorado ha- has under Carl Durrell. You know, even under Mel Tucker, they are recruiting really well under Mel Tucker. But with the drop-off, and not really the drop-off, I would say the, the contrasting styles of recruiting from Tucker to Durrell, you see that Durrell, when he gets guys to campus, he's got some great recruiters on his staff. They're able to recruit. You know, they've got a top 50 class right now, a top half in the Pac-12, which Colorado fans will gladly take because that's been one of the questions for them is, can they recruit at that high enough level in the Pac-12 consistency? And I think you look at this class and they're showing that they are. UCLA is kind of the one wild card. We've said for years that, you know, will this work? We've asked it for years. Will it work with Chip's approach? Will Chip's strategy work? We're not entirely sure. It seems to be working now. And then they start winning some games. This weekend will be huge for them, though. They have official visitors coming in for the Oregon game. Two of them committed, Tamarian Harden and Clint Stevens out of Inglewood High School. But the most important visitor for UCLA this weekend is Justin Martin, who's the teammate of those two at Inglewood, longtime Cal commit who decommitted last month. UCLA has been trying to flip them. They need a quarterback. So this weekend, you know, with game day there on Saturday at UCLA and then the game at the Rose Bowl, UCLA could really add to their class with the commitment from Justin Martin. And then several other storylines to monitor as we make that charge towards the early signing period in mid-December, including ASU. They only have five commitments, obviously dealing with some of the NCAA reviews after 
after the allegations of, of you hosting unofficial and official visitors last year during a pandemic. Utah still doing its methodical approach, only seven commitments, but they always host a, a big visitor weekend and they've been making a charge towards some of those in-state prospects as they try to lock in the number one spot in the Pac-12 South. Uh, Washington, you know, they've been recruiting at a high level over the last few years, dating back to when Chris Peterson was there, but their product on the field hasn't really been matching that. And there's some questions about the future there for, for Jimmy Lake. It's it's a bit uncertainty for the, there's it's a bit uncertain for the Huskies as, as we kind of look ahead. Uh, but I think probably the other big storyline, and, and this obviously broke this week with Nick Rolovich being out at Washington State and what's going to happen at Pullman. What's what do, you, what do you expect from the Cougars here with about two months to go as they need to now replace a head coach as well? Well, we talked about what Ed Orgeron did. I don't anticipate Washington State's going to go out and throw a whole bunch of offers out, especially given the, you know, the PR battle they've been in this week. But it was encouraging if you're a Washington State fan to see Hudson Cedarland, who's their top in-state commit, tweet last night that he had a great conversation with Jake Dickert, who's the defense coordinator, now interim head coach at Washington State. And he said that, you know, he's solid, basically loved the conversation with Dickert and excited for his future. So that's what you, if you're a Washington State fan, you want to see that. You want to see the current commits not panicking, not freaking out. Uh, but again, just like at USC, there's going to be the uncertainty, which coaches are going to stay. Who's the head coach? Now, the difference is with the way Washington State's been playing, it wouldn't surprise me if Jake Dicker played himself into the full-time role. He is the interim head coach. He is the DC. He's called the defensive plays before. If they can win out, maybe beat Washington in the Apple Cup, which they haven't done since 2012, then perhaps maybe Jake Dicker ends up getting promoted to the head coaching job. And now you have that stability, but they didn't just lose Nick Rolovich. They lost four assistants and a recruiting coordinator. So there's a lot of bodies to replace in that football office. And that's going to have an effect. One of them was our better, one of their better recruiters in John Richardson, DB coach uh, who was from Southern California, as well as Craig Stutzman, who was one of their primary recruiters of quarterbacks and guys from the island. So it's going to be not just replacing Rolovich, but it's replacing those assistants in the middle of the season. But if Dick can play himself into contention to be hired as the head coach, that could help with Washington State's stability in this this class and moving forward. Yeah, I think that's what they will need is 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 some stability, some, you know, prospects kind of getting a clear picture of what that program's going to look like in years to come and obviously uh that staff, the remaining staff members will be recruiting towards that plan. Brandon, how did your first parent teacher conference here on the 24/7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast go? I think it went very well. I, you know, I'm still sticking at my job, but I need some more apples on the desk in the next couple of days for these conferences to be as positive as I try to make them for several people. I like it. And hopefully after that early signing period or close to that date in mid-December, we can reconverge and hand out some grades. I think that'll be a lot of fun. Sounds good to me. All right, that is Brandon Huffman, National Recruiting Editor for 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Huffman. Remember, if you like the show, please rate and review and follow us. Please throw us those five stars. Stay locked in to 247sports.com for all the latest buzz and recruiting scoop on your favorite college football team. For National Recruiting Editor Brandon Huffman and our producer Lance Flynn, I am Blair Angulo. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better 
because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.